Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be going back into Luke chapter number 17. We're going to finish off the chapter in verse number 20, and we're going to scale down to old say about verse number 37, and we're going to look at the kingdom of God and its coming. Of course, this will be a teaching that will be familiar to us from the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, which we'll look into today over in John chapter 3 as well. But as we enter into this time that we in, in our modern church today call the Holy Week, we want to really look at Jesus and, and what he's come to do, what his purpose is. You'll find that here as he shares with those that have surrounded him uh, in Luke 17. So with that, let us go to the Lord asking for his blessing in prayer and we'll get to it. Father, we are thankful for everything that you have done. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this point in the Scripture. We're grateful for just the way in which you speak to us, the way in which you reveal yourself to us in spirit and in truth. We ask and pray for your blessing upon us that we may be able to rejoice in what we receive from your word this day. And we pray, Lord, that you will guide us through these upcoming days to be able to accomplish all the things that you would have for us to do. We ask thy blessing this moment in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, coming to Luke chapter number 17, beginning in verse number 20 and reading down. It says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. For they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. <coughs> A fantastic section of scripture that is, that is read today as dealing with what Jesus has to say concerning the kingdom of God. And as it comes in, in the beginning of verse number 20, we, we look to what this kingdom is or when this kingdom is. 
Now, as Jesus defines the kingdom, of course, we understand that there are two kingdoms that we have to consider. One is the kingdom of God, and one is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're familiar with me any length of time, you'll hear that there is a distinction between these two kingdoms. One kingdom represents the other, but there is a kingdom that doesn't represent. So, all the muddied waters there. The kingdom of God is concerning the Old Testament is what Jesus teaches in the New Testament as the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is believed all throughout the Old Testament was the period of time in which the Messiah would come that would take the throne of his father David and that would rule and reign the world for a thousand years. This as believed the kingdom of God by the Jews during the time of Jesus's life is represented by Revelation chapter number 20 in the actual kingdom of heaven or that kingdom that comes at a period of time after the tribulation where we, the church, and also Israel, as well as those who have been uh, martyred during a time of the tribulation, will come and serve Jesus, ruling and reigning at his side over this earth. So we discovered that the kingdom of God is recognized in the Old Testament is indeed what Jesus teaches to be the kingdom of heaven in the New Testament. However, when Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God in the New Testament, he's not referring to the kingdom of heaven. He's referring to a spiritual kingdom that we all who believe in Jesus today exist in, whether Jew or Gentile, whether bond or free, whether barbarian or Scythian. We, we are all, as recognized in Ephesians chapter 4, connected to a spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God. And Jesus even makes reference to this as he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that man can observe. And this is because it, this is something that happens within you. And of course, it says that verse number 21, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And so it's recognized that this kingdom is not a kingdom that can be seen with the naked eye, but a kingdom that, that is experienced through the Holy Spirit in this period of time, this modern day. There is coming a time when Jesus will receive his kingdom unto himself. We call that the rapture. And at that period of time, we understand that that during the judgment of his kingdom, that spiritual kingdom that, that is being built and sealed by the Holy Spirit here on earth through the work of Jesus' servants, otherwise known as the saints, that we also understand that there is a judgment that befalls the, the house of God. We, we see that there is judgment that befalls the children of God that... that uh, is pretty exciting. It's found in 1 Peter chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 17 to finish the chapter, and also is recognized by the trial by fire that Paul talks about over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, beginning in verse 9 and, and ending in verse number 16. And so it's very important for us to realize that this kingdom that, that Jesus is teaching is, is indeed something that doesn't come by the way that we observe. For as we could see a king being coronated, or as we could see a, a, 
a dictatorship take over a, a country or, or move into a land, we can, we can see and observe these ways that man would, would overthrow or take over man. This is not the way that God works, and this is not the way that the kingdom is experienced, for indeed it is in the midst of you. Just as would be said as concerning what we often refer to as the church found in, in Matthew chapter number 22, it says, where there are two or three gathered together, I am in the midst of them. Likewise, Jesus would teach in Luke 17 here that the kingdom of God is in the midst of us the same way that Jesus would be in the midst of those brethren that would be gathered together in his name. So it is a spiritual kingdom in its connection. Now, uh, to be able to further grab the point of verse 20 and 21, I'm going to run over in Scripture to the book of John in chapter number 3 and, and take a look at this kingdom in, in its detail. So John chapter number 3 is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, as recognized here, is a ruler of the Jews. As, as seen in verse number 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs and miracles that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answers, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in recognition of, of Luke chapter 17, the reality behind what Jesus is saying here is because of the kingdom of God being in the midst of you, and because this kingdom is, is that which is in connection to the spiritual realm, the eyes that man has that only gives him the ability to observe the, the physical and material world around him will never be able to see this kingdom. It is necessary that, that he experience this kingdom through a new birth, which is exactly what Jesus is saying, unless one is born again. Well, how does that take place? Well, needless to say, as you go down, Nicodemus will speak to Jesus in verse number four and say to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, Jesus provides the answer to this point. He says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, the connection of what is meant by Jesus in John chapter number 3, verse 5, when he says, unless one is born of water, is found in verse number 6 at the very beginning of, of his statement in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Recognizing the umbilical sac, or umbilical cable and the embryonic sac, recognizing the the multitude of fluid that is in that sac as being a a, a protection that God had, had created inside of the woman to be able to carry life and and to keep it from from being damaged by any any jarring motions or any sudden movements that indeed when we come into this world, we come through water. Now, I understand that it's embryonic fluid, and I understand that it's it's much more technical than what is just considered plain old water. But nevertheless, the point that Jesus makes is true concerning the way in which we enter the world physically. 
Now, it is understood that unless you are in this world physically, there's no possibility of you being able to enter into the, the kingdom of God spiritually because you have to be born in this life to be born again into the kingdom of God. So, needless to say, when Jesus said, unless one is born of the water, uh, well, you got to have that first because if you're not on this planet, if you don't come into existence, then there is no eternity for you to have to worry about. So, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit. Now, once you come into this world, of course, through the lineage of Adam, you're going to come into the world under corruption. You're going to be conceived in iniquity. You're going to be born in sin. That is just the nature of the flesh and its connection from the Father to, to the Son all the way through the generations. And sorry, ladies, you're afflicted by that because as you have an earthly father, you have sin. This is the transmission of how things work through Adam. But that is the blessing of the second Adam we have, as recognized in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Whereas the first Adam was of the earth and prone to corruption, the second Adam is from heaven and is given a gift of God to us for the blessing of eternal life if we would receive him. And so Jesus would say, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, that which is born of the flesh is sown to corruption, and it is flesh. There's nothing that it can, can be done with it. it, it there's, no, there's no change in its state. For as dust it was formed, dust it shall return. All of these statements are familiar to us. We are aware of those because of the corruption that exists within it. But Jesus goes on in verse number 6 and says, That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, the, the new birth we have the potential of receiving in Christ Jesus separates us from the nature of this flesh unto the Father is being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that while this, this flesh must go into the ground, while this flesh must return to the corruption from whence it came, we, our spirit, the very, the very person of us, is set free by this blessing that Jesus provides in salvation to be able to, to receive of that eternal life that God promised as a gift to those who would receive his Son. And, and so we can be set free from this flesh. And in fact, while we're still alive in this flesh, we can bring it unto subjection of God's will, and we can live a righteous life in this flesh, but it does take effort. It does take work, and it does take diligence to be able to do that. And most believers are going to struggle in that area because they're so used to the corruption of the flesh that they don't really understand that they can live any other way. They just continue on falling into the corruption of the flesh, but you don't have to. Because you've been set free, as Jesus would say. You, you, you come to his word, and his word can make you free. But nevertheless, <clears throat> Jesus goes on, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Then he goes on to say, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. <laughs> I love that place in John chapter 3, verse number 7. If you have... If you have uh, any, any range of modern translation, you're going to see the, the statement be made, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. 
And that's one of the shortcomings of our modern English is that it does not distinguish between any type of people groups. The word you could be singular, it could be plural, we just don't know. But in that old English of the, the good old King James, you're going to find two separated pronouns, one that would be a plural and one that would be a singular. As Jesus would be speaking to, to Nicodemus, he would say, Marvel not that I say unto thee. Well, the word thee as thou, thine, me, mine, all these words are a singular pronoun that are, that are referring to one singular subject as a person. So marvel not that I say unto thee, then the, the very next statement that Jesus is going to make, it says, ye, ye, you, yours, it, all of these are plural pronoun that would speak to a group of people that would be standing about. Now, as understanding that Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, he would never be a man found to be traveling by himself. Always there would be a guard, always there would be an entourage that would be surrounding Nicodemus. And so as he seeks out Jesus by night, certainly he's going to have a protective guard that, that will surround him, especially at night as he may be traveling. And so Jesus is indeed engaging Nicodemus personally, but he's also speaking to the crowd that may be hearing him as Nicodemus comes to him. So it's very important to realize that. But then Jesus goes on in verse number 8, and he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. <clears throat> now it's recognized by Jesus that this, as according to John chapter 3, is a spiritual kingdom. And so it's very important as you get that, that teaching from Jesus in John chapter 3, that when we look back over to Luke chapter number 17, that he's, you see here, he says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, understanding the Pharisees are not interested in any kind of spiritual kingdom that exists in the here and now. They're talking about the time where Messiah will rise up and take over Rome. They're interested in a very physical, very, very, uh, point in fact kingdom that would exist at a period of time where, where a person would come into the world that would deliver them from their uh, oppression or from their bondage. And so as they would ask of Jesus when the kingdom of God is going to come, Jesus would smack them with this little nugget and tell them that you're not going to be able to see it. And the reason why the Pharisees would not be able to see the kingdom of God is because they're rejecting the king that is over that kingdom. And of course, if you're not going to accept a king over, over a kingdom, you're not going to accept a kingdom. Needless to say, it, it, it's, it's so sad that, that a people would be gathered together in a land and be so divided that, that they would fight against a, a particular leader, even when that leader has been voted in, that they would be against that leader simply because they don't acknowledge that this is their leader, even though it is. And so they would just completely live in a la-la land thinking that this is not the case, that this is not my leader, and though he might be in charge of the nation right now, we're going to overthrow him eventually. Well, the same thing is true of the Pharisees and the way that they acted with Jesus is that because of their rejection of Jesus as their Messiah and because they're looking for a kingdom that is to come that that, that is 
supposed to be a kingdom of their design and belief instead of the reality of what the Bible says. Uh, every time they come to Jesus to seek information about the kingdom that he's supposedly supposed to be bringing in, he doesn't have any answers for them because they're not willing to receive any answer from him. They've rejected their king. And to this day, they continue to reject their king. But the, the frightening point is what the church ought to be doing in serving its king, but even the church today has rejected its king and is living in a la-la land of, of not liking the leadership that God establishes, and so we're just going to wait until it's all over. And that's when we're going to be <laughs> destroyed, so to speak. So needless to say, as the scripture goes down, Jesus said, nor will they say, so he tells them flat out in verse number 20, the kingdom of God is not coming in the way that you can observe. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or look, there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, it's not in a far distance. It's not far off. It's not in some other country or some other land. It's right here. It's right in your heart. It's right in your community. It's right in your church. It's right here. It's in the midst of us. And so, as Jesus answers the question of these Pharisees, of course, he turns and he begins to teach his disciples because he's never going to leave his disciples without an answer to be able to give to them of the reason of the hope that they have, remember? So he turns to his disciples and he tells them, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You will not see it. In other words, the day is soon approaching where I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to, I'm going to die and then 40 days later I'm going to ascend up to my throne in heaven and you're going to wish that you could have had one more day with me as I walked on this earth but I'm not going to be down here you're not going to see it and guys uh, Jesus also would teach us over in John chapter number 20 at the, at the time where Thomas had come into the upper room and Jesus appeared again and he said you believe because you see me he said how much more shall it be for those who believe in me having not seen me well, this is the very point is that, that those disciples who had walked with Jesus, who had seen Jesus physically in the flesh manifest on this earth, at the time of his ascension, how difficult it would be for them because they had that time to hold him. They had that time to, to wake up and to eat with him and to, to talk with him and to pull him off to the side and hug him and, and all of these, these physical uh, uh, connections, these physical things that we so enjoy with each other. But Jesus has warned them that there's going to come a time where they're not going to have that opportunity. They're not going to have that kind of fellowship. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't have any fellowship at all because, of course, we know today as being the children of God that we regularly can have fellowship with the Lord as we enter into his word and these studies and as we uh, cry out to him in prayer and as we experience him through the Holy Spirit, we do have uh, a very, very close connection, but it's not the same as the connection that these guys had because these guys literally were able to touch Jesus. I mean, and Jesus is going to tell them that, that there's going to be a uh, coming a day in the near future where you're going to wish you could see me, but you can't because it's spiritually connected at that point. It's no longer an opportunity to be able to, to have him in their hands. But at that point of time, just like it is in this modern day where you have all these people claiming to be a Messiah, where you have all these people saying, I've seen Jesus, where you have all these people building whole religions 
and charismatic movements around the idea of of seeing Jesus in spirit or or, or, or this or that. I mean, just just a physical connection in some form or, or fashion. But Jesus even warned us about that. In his word, he said, they will say to you, look there or look here. We've seen Jesus. Follow me because Jesus told me. It's just like Joseph Smith. Jesus gave the angel Moroni to come and give me these golden tablets so you guys all need to follow me. Or Ellen G. White with the Seventh-day Adventist that said, I, I had a vision in the night and I saw Jesus in the spiritual kingdom and the rapture has already come and the, the, the millennial kingdom is now established and it's all spiritual so you have to follow me. All these people saying, look there, or look here. But the Jesus said, do not go out or follow them. They're false, they're false prophets. A whole religions, Jehovah's Witnesses, a whole religions built on, on false premises of God's word. Because they're all uh, claiming to have a vision or they're all claiming to have a, a knowledge or a reality of look here, look there. And Jesus said, don't follow them. Those are not of my fold. <laughs> those, are, those are not mine. And he, he even says in verse number 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so, so will the Son of Man be in his day. This, this is a moment that isn't going to be able to be observed. When we talk about the, the concept of the rapture, or when we, we talk about even the coming of Jesus and his second coming to establish the millennial reign, this isn't going to be something that is going to come with a great deal of fanfare, where it's going to come with all kinds of, of, of you know, show or entertainment or any, any kind of coronation type events like you would see on movies for kings. It's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. Especially when you consider 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 as beginning in, in verse number 50 and working our way down in that when we find the rapture, he says, it, it, literally, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. So we understand the, the, the sound of the voice of Jesus as the sound of, of a mighty rushing water found in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verses 16 to 18. Also, as the sound of many trumpets is his voice as he would call us under the rapture, but that it would be as the lightning that shoots from one side of the sky to the other. It's that fast. It's that, it's that intense and that powerful, but that fast that all things shall change. And that will be as it is with the Son of Man in that day. Then he goes down and he explains that a little bit further in, in verse number 26, in verse number 26, and I know I skipped 25, I'll come back to that, but verse number 26, he said, just as it was in the days of Noah, this is the concept of verse number 24, where he says that the, as lightning flashes up and lights the sky from one side to the other, so will it be of the Son of Man in his day. And then he, he refers to that as just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man, where people were, were doing their daily living, right? They were eating, they were drinking, they were, they were going about with marriage and, and being given in marriage. And, and in that day that Noah entered the ark, that door remained open. Understand that it was seven days later 
that the rains began to fall. So as, as Noah entered that ark there for that seven days before God closed the door of the ark, anybody could have come in there and, and sat with, with Noah. Anybody could have come into that ark. But there comes a day when the grace of God is, is complete and where there's not but the wrath of God to have to face. And please let Noah in his day testify to you that at this given moment, as you're watching this broadcast, you're, you're resting in the grace of God. You're drawing another breath to be able to testify, or you're drawing another breath to be able to repent. You're resting in the grace of God. But there's coming a day when he's going to close the door of that ark, and it's over. You have not but the wrath of God to be poured out on you. If you will not repent in this day, you may not have another to be able to do so. You have this time. So don't delay. Don't waste it. Come to Jesus and be saved. Because we see that as it was in the days of Noah, the same things are happening today. People are eating. People are drinking. People are marrying. I've got two mar two weddings coming up in, in April and May. People are marrying and giving in marriage. And then there was a day, one day, where Noah entered an ark, and seven days later the door was shut, and there was no hope for mankind after that point. All of them, all of them were destroyed. And that's exactly what it says in verse number 27. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, we understand from the story that is given us concerning Lot that it was in the days of Lot that they were doing the same thing as in the days of Noah. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, selling, planting, building, everything that we're doing in our modern day today, they were doing. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, now keep in mind, Lot was practically dragged out of Sodom by the by the angels that showed up and, and his, his daughters and his his wife, of course, we understand that she looked back and suffered the same punishment that, that all of Sodom and Gomorrah had to suffer. She turned into a pillar of salt. Needless to say, her, her body was superheated and vaporized, and there was nothing but salt left. But needless to say, it comes down and says they were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so as to understand that, that the rapture that we're talking about is concerning the kingdom of God that shall be received is, is, is that which happens in the clouds of the air, which is why I initially spoke of it as concerning lightning that spans from one side of the sky to the other, is because at the last trump revealed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says that, that we shall be received up into the clouds of the air evermore to be with the Lord. And so we understand that this event will be taking place. But at that point, <clears throat> when God's children are received unto Jesus in, that, in the air up above those clouds, that there is not but wrath of God, the wrath of God to come upon the world in the times of tribulation and great tribulation. And so Jesus said there's a period of time back in verse number 25 that he's going to have to suffer. There's a period of time that he's going to have to be rejected and it will be specifically to this generation that Jesus lives among. But of course the rejection is carried from generation to generation up into our modern days. So every generation has to face the point of the words Jesus has as being rejected by this generation. 
But needless to say, there in this period of time of his life is many things that he must suffer before he faces that time, but the necessity of his suffering is met with the courage of understanding the, the purpose behind his suffering, and that was to be able to pay the price for my sin, your sin, and the sin of all those that will follow him, so that in this day he can pull us up like the, the lightning that spans from from sky to sky, that he could pull us out of here and in that day turn the wrath of his suffering back upon the people who made him to suffer, which are those that are unbelievers. And he goes down and he said, so it will be in verse 30 on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, on that day, when the Son of Man is revealed, as concerning the trumpets that would sound and the, the call that would come and the, and the people that would depart uh, from this life of the wrath of God that then began to pour out severely upon the, the times of tribulation, a great tribulation of the world that has rejected him, just as it was in the days of Noah, just as it was in the, in the days of Lot. By the way, God always delivered his people out of his wrath before he poured it out upon the world. Very important to understand why we believe in a pre-tribulation-based rapture. Now, comes down and it says, um, on that day, when let the one who is in the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. In other words, whatever you're doing and wherever you're at, get out of here. <laughs> when the trumpet blows, time to go. And, and he says, remember Lot's wife? Oh, don't turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Uh, by the way, this is a recognition of the reality of our service in this life. Anybody that's been around me any period of time understands that the, that truly you are either those which serve the Lord or those which which claim a connection and don't have it, and the rapture is going to be for those who serve the Lord, needless to say. Faithful versus unfaithful. Lot's wife was unfaithful to the directions that were given by, by God, and she suffered the same punishment as the rest of the unfaithful, even though she belonged to God. Needless to say, she belonged to Lot, and she was being delivered because of that. Well, needless to say, as we belong to Jesus and will be delivered because of Jesus, if we have a heart that is unfaithful to Jesus and, and pines for the world, we may end up having to suffer the, 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 the things that the world is going to have to go through, even though we do belong to Jesus, but that there would be a separation between us and the world at the point of our death, that we will be received by God because we belong to him. That's eternal security but that we would have to face a judgment according to our rebellion to our God and have to face not being able to go into that beautiful new Jerusalem that has been prepared, which was revealed in Revelation 22 and verse number 15. And so we understand that, that to be faithful is to be truly blessed in this life, but also in that which is to come, something to think about anyway. So it comes down and it says, to us, remember Lot's wife. He says, whoever seeks to preserve his life, the same will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Needless to say, it's the same teaching that comes from, from Matthew. It's the same teaching that comes from Mark. And, and, and the point that Jesus is making is if, if the only thing you care about in this life is your own life, you're certainly going to lose that. But you're not going to have anything on the other side 
of life in heaven. Now, if you're, if, you, if you're not worried about your own life and that you would be willing to surrender that life to be able to serve the Lord, you're not only going to have your life, but you're going to have such an abundance on the other side of heaven. What a joy that would be. It just depends on where your heart is focused and what you're willing to do for Jesus. Very important to consider those two statements so that maybe your life can get engaged in the service of your king while you still have grace to do so. Now it comes down and he says, I tell you that in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Now, uh, in, in a multitude of translations, you may find that it says two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. And likewise, it will go on to say two women grinding together. One will be taken the other left. Well, it, it, so people want to say, oh, oh, well, it, what it's talking about is, is, you know, homosexuality is okay with God. Well, no, that's not the case. And when you see the word man or men used in the generic sense as recognized by Jesus, you're dealing with mankind. Now, ladies, I hate to add you under the concept of mankind, but you were separated from man. You were a rib, if you recall. Eve was created from man, not from the dust of the earth. And so as man was made by the dust of the earth and woman was taken from man, when you have mankind, you have men and women. And so, in, in, as would be said in this particular translation, in that night there will be two in one bed. Uh, needless to say, some translations say men, but that does recognize mankind. And so it is simple to be able to say that there will be two in one bed. But that could be male and female. Now, could it be two guys? Sure, it could be. But why do we immediately assume that, that just because two guys would be sleeping in one bed, about like uh, being out on a camping trip and my son be sleeping in the same tent with me, that would be two guys sleeping in the same tent, but um, there's no uh, f nothing going on with that. It's just me and my son are in the same tent together. Why is that immediately assumed by society to be something homosexual? when the reality is it doesn't have anything to do with homosexuality. Why, why do we draw that inference? Well, I would have to say that it's because we have a corrupt mind that is bent towards wickedness, and it is difficult for us to accept the holy and righteous things of God. But it's something to think about anyways. So it comes down and he says, two would be in one bed, one is taken, the other is left. Needless to say, this is the concept of the rapture and how it works and how fast it works. And so he comes down, and he says, I tell you that in that night there will be two in one bed, and the other one will be taken, one will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding together, one will be taken, the other left. Needless to say, not everybody gets to go. So it's very important to make sure that you're a person who is going. And the only way you can do that is to have a good conversation with Jesus. One, about your salvation, two, with a heart of repentance, and three, with a life of service given unto the king. And it comes down, and it says, and, and his disciples said, well, where, Lord? Where is this going to happen? 
And it's an interesting statement that I must end with in this day. But he says to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. We'll have to look into that a little bit tomorrow as we enter into Luke chapter number 18 because I've run out of time for explanations. So if you're really interested in understanding, catch up to me tomorrow and what a joy it will be. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have given us today. We thank you for the teachings of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the recognition of the rapture and the the fact that it comes before the the destruction, Lord. And I I thank you for the grace of God as revealed at the days of Noah that you would bring Noah into that ark. I thank you, Lord, for the grace of God that is revealed in Lot, even though Lot was a little bit twisted by the society that he was in. Yet still your grace watched over him and pulled him away from the, from the destruction that was certain to come. And in both of those cases, we give you praise this day for the grace that you have extended to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for the ungodly and that he would give us hope through repentance, Lord. He would give us mission through, through faith and that he would provide us, Lord, with, with all of the necessary skill and talent to be able to serve him in this life. We ask and pray, Lord, that you will bless us in this day that we may be able to rejoice in this teaching in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. I'll catch you at the next go-round tomorrow at 4 p.m. Take care.